folks, this is Always Be Watching. What do we do on the podcast? We watch, we talk, we converse, and then we hug and sometimes cry. My name, Dan Barrett, joining me in the crying and the hugging, sorry, no hugging, social distancing, Chris Yates. Sir, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing very well, Dan, and I do miss your real life hugs. <laughs> ah, they're like stolen kisses, Chris. <laughs> the digital hug ain't cutting it. But anyway, um, it's better than nothing. It's all we can hope for at this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you keep on uh, like contributing coins, like eventually you get that hug on screen. Excellent. That's good. Mm. Uh, no idea what you're talking about there. Not I have sure. been watching heaps of stuff this week. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast, here's what happens. I come to the thing and I'm like, hey, Chris, I've been watching a TV show and we talk about that TV show and then Chris does the same and we do it back and forth and, you know, podcast magic is born. So it's really about two friends coming together, just sharing the TV that they've enjoyed and, you know, just sharing it, trying to get some ideas of things that the other person might want to watch or, you know, just dismiss and go, you know what, I know this is not for you. And then that person will say, you know what, that probably isn't for me and get on with their lives and not wonder. However, Chris, this week... I watched a couple of things that were a little bit out of the, I'm going to call them off-Broadway shows, but it's not off-Broadway in the way that people have never heard of these shows before, but really it's off-Broadway for me in that I watched a whole bunch of things, not with the intention to talk about it here on the podcast, which is what drives most of my viewing, but instead just thinking, hey, is this show actually any good? So yesterday I watched an episode of Blue Bloods. You've seen Blue Bloods before? No, what are you talking about? This is a show made for CBS television in the US. Stars Tom Selleck. You know Tom Selleck. It's I've, got Tom, I've heard of him. It's got Tom Selleck, Donnie Wahlberg, and other people. Oof. Basically, it's a Chicago-based uh, family, sorry, New York-based family cop drama. And it's like several generations of people who were involved in law enforcement in one way or another. And it's a family drama, but also they investigate crime separately as part of like being beat cops or detectives or you know, head of police or whatever. Basically, it's one of these shows that has been running now for like eight or nine years. And I always wonder, I know I saw the first episode, but is this actually a show that maybe I dismissed that I should have gotten back to? Is it covertly one of these like broadcast shows that's actually really quite good, but no one watches it because it's a broadcast show? Anyway, I sat down, I did the homework and you know what? I feel that my answer is like being given to me and I'm (laughs) fine now. I've had the Blue Bloods experience. Yeah, so it's probably not the greatest TV experience of all time that you regret missing. Here's the thing. It's not necessarily a bad show and it's really nicely shot, but it's very much, it's just generic television. And I got to the end of the hour and thought, you know what? I could have spent that time actually watching something I actually properly enjoy as opposed to something which is just TV wallpaper. And it's good TV wallpaper, but it's still just wallpaper nonetheless. Tom Selleck needs a Quentin Tarantino to come and... um cast him in some edgy underground film. You know, I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking that it's a shame that Selleck's landed in the show that's paid him a large amount of money now for 10 years running instead of maybe appearing in like an HBO drama for, you know, eight episodes, giving him that cred that, you know, benefits me, but maybe not his bank account. Yeah, that's right. The cred probably doesn't help him sleep as well at night as <laughs> yeah. his millions of dollars. No, because I was literally thinking about this while I was watching it, which is why hasn't he done something sort of more artistically substantial because I think he's got it in him. But then I also thought, you know what? It's Tom Selleck. We know him mostly as Magnum PI. It's not like he really is needing to prove anything that is a great artist. Like just let him no. do just generic TV. It's fine. There's actually nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. It's true. It's a good point. Mm. And I welcome, I welcome him to the screens, even if I will never watch him. 
Yeah, so I watched that. Uh, this afternoon, I watched an episode of That Girl. Have you ever seen That Girl? Mm, no. So I'm fascinated with TV shows from the 1960s and 70s, and particularly sitcoms from that time. So I've grown up thinking about sitcoms from the 60s being pretty much things like The Addams Family and The Monsters and I Dream of Genie and Bewitch, like those big sort of broad, high-concept shows. But the thing is, like, those were just big, broad, high-concept shows that have lasted in syndication for years. I like Get Smarts, obviously, another one of those. But, mm. like, there was just all sorts of just relationship comedies that were on in the same way that that's been what sustained comedies as far as, like, I remember from the 80s onwards. Uh, so That Girl is one of those shows. It's, uh, you know, a young lady living in, I think it's New York City. Actually, yeah, it's New York City. Uh, she's in her early 20s. She's an aspiring actress. Uh, she meets a guy. He's in it sometimes. Uh, it's just, you know, whatever wacky adventure she gets into. But she's kind of progressive. She's a woman of like modern times. And that was 1966 through the early 70s. And it still kind of holds up. Like it's kind of half funny. It's a little bit too sitcom But at the same yeah, time, yeah, like right. these are the shows that kind of define what sitcom meant. So it's kind of hard to judge it with that harsh brush because, you know, it actually kind of defined a lot of the tropes that we watch today in sitcoms. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds great. You, it's you're right about all those uh, aforementioned high concept comedies, all of which are exceptional. Oh yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all super fun, and there's a reason that people have been watching them now for like totally. fifty plus years. But also, yeah, yeah. there's just all these other shows that people don't really quite think about, and mm. weirdly, they're just sitting in the archive on Amazon Prime Video because they've bought them all cheap. Um, so like, there's all sorts of just odd shows from the sixties that you're watching going that girl, I've heard of that show, but it's not something that's really part of the cultural consciousness anymore. Very interesting. Yeah. And there was one other show that I watched and again, not something I'm going to go into depth here again on the Amazon prime. I came across a Japanese series called massage detective Joe. (laughs) You're not going to go in depth on that. This is, but you can't, it's impossible. So it's a half hour show set in a massage parlor, but it's a legitimate massage parlor, which is something that's established very early in. So at the massage parlor, there's like three guys there. There's a girl. And then there's the woman that runs the massage parlor. And she's like, in her like maybe fifties, but all the other people like sort of early twenties, beginning of their massage careers. But it's all, it's a very hyper comedy. It's very broad. It is very over the top in a way that you find with, you know, shows that I just generally don't really watch or enjoy. <laughs> and so you've got this Joey character who's a introverted guy who doesn't really uh, know how to engage with anyone except when he's doing a, mast- a massage because he's really good at massaging. And so he, he can't deal with people, but he deals well with massages. But the premise of this show is he is so good with massages, but also he has the fortune or misfortune of every time he goes on like a like an out call, so like someone's house to do a massage, he gets involved in a murder mystery. Oh, great. Obviously. Every time. Every That's time. A, I'm a bit suspicious. It's a bit <laughs> yeah, of a, a he's the Jessica Fletcher of, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I watched the first episode of Massage Detective Joe and he's there. And what's phenomenal about it is that he's not only just a detective who pays attention to what's around. So you see there's a a patient, a customer who's come into the parlor and he's able to recognize that he's not what he claims to be. Like this guy claimed that he was a like high end, like investment banker. But Joe's like, no, no, you're not. I can see that there's a uh, like metallic ball stuck in your head and there's uh, something about like his muscles with the way that he shapes his hands. And he's like, oh, well, you're a professional pachinko player. Okay. So he realizes that he's not what he claims. And that establishes him as a, um, 
Sherlock Holmesian sort of style character. Totally. Okay, so I you see, see that. that. But when he's actually like out doing the massage murder like investigations, he works out at the end of the episode that the guy who died was actually killed by his uh, lover who was also doing Taekwondo in her spare time. And they couldn't work out what the murder weapon was. But anyway, he worked it out because he could sense that there was a certain structure in the way that her leg muscles were formed. And so you've got these super, these graphics laid over the top of the body and he's able to point out the various parts of the muscles on her body, which contributed to him understanding what it was about her body that contributed as being the murder weapon. Amazing TV. Wow. Yeah. I'm blown away. Watch one episode and you've got the idea. <laughs> um, I've been watching the Brick Man live on uh, Facebook answering people's questions. This is the guy from the Lego Masters. Lego Masters. Um, yes, Australia's only certified Lego builder. He Brickman, he's an amazing guy. Um, I've been watching both. I'm still trying to catch up on both seasons of Lego Masters, but there was a great story this week about how um, Brickman sh- not being afraid to show his emotions uh, on television has been a really great moment for the detoxification of male masculinity. But it's really interesting because he really does... Um, he really, he really does break down every time. It breaks his heart every time he has to kill somebody's Lego dream and, and watching his emotion and stuff uh, well up is a really uh, an excellent part of the show that the um, US one was missing. So that's been fun. Uh, but I'm, I'm really enjoying them. Um, the Australian Lego Masters has been great. Again, very much enjoying it. There's a thing I've noticed when I go to stand-up comedy clubs and if I'm like at the bar just after a comedian's come off stage and he's done a set and he wanders over to the bar to get a drink there'll always be like some guy at the bar who like just says to him, Oh, how did you get involved in this? I'm a pretty funny guy. And there's always this thing. You know, <laughs> going up there. And you think the brick man has that same experience of, Oh, how did you get involved in Lego? And you know, I want to do I saw, this. I saw him answer that very question about two hours ago, <laughs> live on Facebook. And um, yes, he, every time. And he was very gracious. He's, he's just a beautiful man. I love him. Uh, but yes, I've, I've been trying to, I've watched a lot of comfort stuff as well. And another thing I've done is caught up with, um, you know, a bunch of shows that I've talked about here. I've been trying to really, the the, the stuff that I really wanted to watch, like the last dance, the Michael Jordan, uh, Chicago Bulls documentary. That's I've watched a bunch of those episodes. That's just fantastic. You know, I I tried doing that. And I mean, again, I've established in the past, not really much of a sports guy. I just tapped out of it. I was really into the first one. Yeah, fair enough. And then, yeah, it just wasn't enough to keep me. No, I could understand yeah. that. But uh, yeah, no, it's really kept me going. And uh, yeah, just a bunch of other, I, I managed to f- get my kids to watch a good movie, which is a challenge, but we watched the um, uh, the Studio Ghibli, Ghibli movie Ponyo today, Oh yeah, which was a very nice experience. I love that movie. It's super weird and it's a little underrated, I think, in the Studio Ghibli. Yeah, catalog. I only saw it for the first time good. maybe like about a month ago. It's good. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's good, huh? It's weird. And, and I like how there's kind of, you know, the it really, it spun them out because they're so obsessed with ideas of goodies and baddies. And it's very complicated in that area as a lot of those uh, um, films are. So it was good to, yeah, it was good, good fun to not have to watch garbage with them <laughs> as they usually dictate. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, Chris, it's probably time for us to roll up our sleeves and do Is the this the end business. of the bu- Oh, right. I thought we were done. I was going to say, I was going to say, oh, that was really good. We wrap that up quick. No, of course. Uh, let me, can I officially ask you first? Oh yeah, can sure. Let's first? do that. Uh, Dan, I was wondering, what have you been watching this week? Look, Chris, I've been watching the, well, we'll say new, but it's been out now for like about three or four weeks, a brand new Apple TV program, Home Before Dark. Can someone deal with this? I'm not going away. I can't show you everything, but here's what I got. Are you helping me? I don't like when they pat me on the head either. Young lady, you have no idea what you're getting into. 
I feel like being called a young lady should be a compliment, but it never sounds like it is. What did you do? I'm a journalist. No, you're a fourth grader. Okay, Chris, here's the deal with Home Before Dark. Uh, earlier in the podcast, we talked about a murder mystery heroine named Jessica Fletcher. Mm-hmm. She is, as far as I'm concerned, the exemplar of the murder mystery. Like it takes Absolutely. a lot to, you know, top the skill that she brings to it. And can that skill be brought to her by a young 10 year old girl? And this is the question that Home Before Dark seeks to ask. So mm. there's a real young, like a real life, like the world that you and I live in. And her name is uh, Hilda Lysiak. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's literally like a preteen journalist who went out and solved a murder mystery. So it's Impressive. Like it's a real woman. Uh, well, real woman, real girl. And she's interesting because her father was a journalist. And so she got excited about journalism through watching him. And so she's destined to go off and become like a proper journalist. Like you'll hear from her like 10 years from now, which is actually starting her career properly. But at the moment, I doubt like, I'll pay attention. Well, you know, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like at this stage, like she's just like preteen and the based this TV show off, you know, this girl's story. And so this story is about this family. There's the young girl, her father's the journalist, and then there's the rest of the family who are half understanding about the weirdo young girl they've got living with them. Because uh, she's like a super attentive, like just super focused young girl who's really dedicated to the cause of journalism. Does she have any superpowers? Doesn't have any superpowers, which I really like about the program. Mm. Because I really don't like when I'm watching just terrible dramas where it's not enough that somebody is just really good and perceptive at what they're doing. But then suddenly they have to either be like autistic with superpowers laid over the top of that with, you know, graphics on screen where they're able to see the trajectory of stuff and, (laughs) you know, they're able to slow down time or they're able to, you know, sense heat patterns in people or, just all that garbage that they just layer over. There was a, there was a real threat of that for a while, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there still is. Like that doesn't really quite go away, and it really frustrates the hell out of me. So I like <laughs> that this is actually like this grounded girl, and you can watch this series and say, you know, I can kind of buy into this. But here's the thing with the program. I like the idea of there being like a young, you know, preteen journalist who's out there solving mysteries. But I watched the first episode of this thing. Well, they will wrap up the story in the first episode. And then every week will be a brand new home before dark adventure. But it seems like yes. over the 10 episodes, it's going to be investigating the same like story and maybe it only lasts for a couple of episodes, but I'm not going to find out because I reached the end of the first episode. So frustrated that this story that just felt so inert <laughs> to begin with is just continuing. And I know I heard an interview with uh, the, one of the co-creators of the program and I can't remember if it's Dana Fox or Dara Resnick, uh, but one of them was talking about how she had been working on it was like a big budget movie, like maybe a Spielberg film or something. I don't quite remember. Yeah. But she knows that she learned like a number of skills about being able to write for a number of audiences at once. And so she was talking about how it's really important to be able to write for the adults and the kids in the room and uh, sort of be able to match what they call four quadrant writing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was talking about that and she applied the skills to this. And I'm watching her and I thought, well, the show feels too dark to really watch with kids that are younger than maybe like 15. It's right. not really like it's really just through the eyes of this young girl who's not really an interesting enough character in her own right to sustain the interest of an adult. So I'm just trying to work out who this show is actually for. And like it's really nicely shot and the cast are actually really quite good. Uh, it's got Jim Sturgis playing the father and he kind of looks like a character straight out of like an early 80s Spielberg film. 
Like he looks like he should be in the movie E.T. And like, yeah. that's kind of nice. And so I like the entire vibe they're going for because it very much feels like sort of E.T. era, like Spielberg. Like that's a general overall mood to it all. But outside of that, like there is just nothing going on in this TV show. And it was incredibly frustrating because I was thinking about shows like Save Veronica Mars, which is like a teenage girl detective who's going around. And it just kind of follows the, follows the model of lots of book series that people had sort of through the, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s, like Nancy Drew and, you know, the Hardy Boys and that kind of thing with young people going out solving mysteries. And those, there's always like an episodic nature to them. And there's, yeah, absolutely. Like there's actually sort of fun to the stories. But it seems like they just purposely went and stripped all the fun out of this show in order to try to make it as sort of meaningful and dramatic as possible. But there's just nothing to it as a result. And it's such a frustrating experience. And so this Home Before Dark streaming now on Apple TV Plus. <laughs> <laughs> the glowing, a glowing, glowing review there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's, no, it's, but it's, it's interesting conceptually, but the execution just isn't there for it. Um, great. I won't watch it. No, and I don't think people should. <laughs> and I was saying to you before we started the podcast, generally I try to choose a show which is a recommendation, something that people haven't heard of before, maybe haven't seen or have thought about watching it. And based on whatever I say, they might be going, oh, yeah, whatever. But, you know, they might say, that sounds half interesting. I'm going to check this out. And I try not to find things that I'm not really recommending to people. But with this, I don't know. It's also a slim week for me TV-wise, obviously. Yes, obviously. Um, okay. So, uh, do you want me to tell you what I've been watching? Chris, please. I mean, I know what you've been watching, but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. Chris Yates, what the heck have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching a show that I'm pretty sure was created for me. Maybe I created it myself in a dream and somehow uh, let the creators know. I've been watching The Midnight Gospel. When I cut you off, I think we were talking about accepting death. Yeah, all truth is a paradox. And I hate that the culture tells you that you will get over it. I think that anytime anybody says the words, you'll feel better in time, they should be sliced in the ass. My friend Joey Diaz told me that's one of the worst things you could do to a man. Slice his ass because he can't sit down for weeks. <laughs> Yeah, but people who say that make me angry. Yeah, if I could let go of this right now, believe me, I would. I don't love being in this clenched, rashy state. Chris, I've seen the first two episodes of this, and I have a very specific question I want to ask you. But first of all, what's the show about? Explain it to us, if you can. Okay, so it's basically a animated... Um, it's, a, it's a highly surreal animated program that is um, not a scripted program like a lot of animation is, like most animation is, but instead it's uh, a interview type situation, basically a podcast, um, which has then been animated into this very, as I said, incredibly surreal kind of experience that drifts and floats for about 25 minutes where the characters, the people being interviewed are kind of characters, but full in and out of a, of the visuals in a very dreamy way. So there is a structure to this. So there's a young guy. He seems like he's like a late teenager, maybe. He's like some sort of alien type creature who goes out interviewing people for, what does he call it, a VidCon? But basically it's just like it's, a podcast. I think it was a space cast or something space like cast, that. Space yeah. cast, something maybe like that. Maybe you were right. But yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. travels to like other worlds and like alternates of realities because he chooses the version of the planet that he wants to go to. Is it actually Earth? 
Yes, it's very, yeah. it's different multi-dimensional versions of Earth, yes. Yeah, so he chooses the version that he wants to go to, or the computer kind of picks it for him, and then he puts, he chooses a suit to go in, so he changes his body shape. So it kind of looks like him every episode, but it's also a bit different. Like sometimes he's like a tall giant. Yeah, he picks, he picks the, um, yes, the avatar to which it, he will interact with the native people of that um, dimension. Yeah, and then there's a very <sighs> specific person on the planet he wants to interview, so he goes there. But what happens yeah, that's is... Right very trippy and very strange yeah and then the conversation itself is a real interview that's been um you know where a guest has been chosen to talk very you know in depth and also in a very um you know in a in a free form kind of big question stoner conversations basically late it, night uh stoner conversations about the life the meaning of the universe and all these things okay that's a perfect segue to the question i really want to ask you chris uh what state were you in when you watched the show and really enjoyed it i think the, at the most i was in the appropriate state dan um <laughs> for most of it i gotta tell you and no look it, it was just it's just so well done i i just i feel like you know i don't like using things like I just wonder what, how a program like this, it gets made really. Like I wonder how many people are actually going to enjoy this as much as I am. It's pretty niche and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So the main two creators, which is what got me in. Well, one of the creators is what got me in is Pendleton Ward who created Adventure Time and wrote most of Adventure Time for the first um, several seasons and is just a um, clearly gifted, very strange, weird, guy uh I, I do feel like adventure time kind of jumped the shark when he left which is probably a did he actually leave yeah he left towards the end and, and it went like and it went very and it went very like it went in a different direction that i totally did not enjoy as much as the other like it was it was still received very well i think and um it still kept the very surrealist kind of aspects of that show but they did try to kind of they did get a bit into answering a lot of questions about the show and i that I didn't really feel needed answering, but um, absolutely loved. I was, I mean, I was obsessed with Adventure Time for the first sort of four or five seasons, and I still think it's just incredible and barely been matched. Um, as a, as any you know, as any kind of animation show, not just one for which is actually basically made for children. Um, but so he's teamed up with this guy who I had to do a bit of reading on. But this is Duncan Trussell, right? And he is. Uh, a regular guest on the Joe Rogan experience. And of course, you Sorry, can, I just, I have... can I just give you a side point? Did I ever tell you how yeah. I met Jeremy Sharder, who's the voice from Adventure Time? No, this yeah. is good. Finn's voice. Yeah. Finn's voice. Must be Finn's voice. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> I've got no Wait, was it? Story. Just like at a bus stop? Oh, no. no, he's just okay. out on the street. Um, no, no, he was in Australia <laughs> and yeah. Had a brief chat with him. All right. Yeah. Um, that would have been very cool. Uh, but anyway, back to Joe Rogan, the, the center of the universe at the moment. But I, I was going to, I was alluding to a gag that you and I are both Joe Rogan fans, not, not at all from his podcast, of course, but from the um, fantastic television series. series news radio. <laughs> Regularly regarded by us as one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. Um, yes. And anyway, so this guy, Duncan Trussell is, is the guy that goes on Joe Rogan and does DMT with him and all this kind of stuff. He's a very big advocate for psychedelic substances. So a lot of the conversations he wants to have are about people's experiences with sort of not just psychological, um, not just psychedelic drugs and that kind of thing, but also those kind of states of being. So like meditation and, um, 
just general looking at the world in different ways and that kind of stuff. So anyway, it's everything that I could dream it would be. It's pretty trippy to watch. It's kind of like the, the animation style is quite gross in some parts. It's very like, it, I, I could describe it almost as very liquidy, like the sort of um, very, you know, uh, it borrows heavily from the sort of earliest animation that you've, that you see around um, very bouncy. And I don't know exactly the way to describe it, but very crude very, very much uh, looks hand-drawn and then, you know, lots of bright psychedelic colours. It's just it's just totally wild. Yeah, so I sat down watching this and I have to say I really like the concept of it, but the actual execution, and I should say I watched it pretty stone-cold sober and it did not necessarily hold for me. But what I went into it expecting, because I'd heard the idea that it's about effectively a podcaster who's travelling into these sort of strange interdimensional realities and having deep sort of philosophical conversations with the people that he encounters. And that's an interesting log line just in itself. But I was expecting it to be maybe a little bit more like, say, do you know that 80s book, Sophie's Choice? Not Sophie's Choice, Sophie's World, I think it's called. No, I do know Sophie's Choice, but Sophie's I don't Choice. think it is. Sophie's Not Sophie's World. Choice, Sophie's World. So it was this uh, book about a young girl named Sophie who is introduced to very sort of strong philosophical ideas through the course of this narrative of the book. And so it tries to explain sort of big philosophical concepts, but in a way that's, you know, understandable to like a young eight to 10 year old girl. So if you're the girl from home before dark, you'd probably be able to understand the world through the, you know, narrative of this. I expected the show to be doing something kind of similar, like essentially talking about sort of stoner talk, but trying to sort of conceptualize these ideas in a very linear fashion. But the show doesn't Mm. really do that at all. And the show doesn't really seem to have a specific thing that it wants to talk about. Really, it's lots of conversations around what it wants to be talking about. So in the very first episode, there's a zombie outbreak that's taken place. And the guy is interviewing the president of the earth who's going around shooting zombies while they talk about... I can't even remember what they're talking about. It just kind of felt like it was all nonsense (laughs) talk as opposed to actually being meaningful talk. Yeah, but um, that's the difference between being on drugs and not being on drugs, Dan. This is exactly (laughs) it. No, but I think also, um, look, I I look forward to the actual experience. For me, I guess, I look forward to the experience of just sort of watching it again and even listening to music and stuff. Like I think that the, um, I I appreciate the idea of the conversation and I, I, but I, but you know, I drifted in and out of the conversation quite readily just getting absorbed in the visuals. And I, and I think I'd enjoy it even more doing that again, because it's a striking animation style and it, and it really reminds me of those kind of, um, you know, trippy uh, animations that were built just for that purpose of, um, playing behind your heavy metal records and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to enjoying it in that experience. And I don't know how well, like, like you're saying, like, I don't know. I mean, even those, even the, I'm doing finger quotes, plot points and sort of the setup and stuff just seemed so unnecessary and just like, so like I didn't even retain it, you know, it's just kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't care about any of that idea of why it's happening, but just the actual visceral experience of watching it, I guess, is what will keep me watching it for many years to come. The the experience of watching it is kind of like, do you remember Beavis and Butthead do America? And halfway through it, <laughs> yes. Halfway through it, they go on a drug trip, and it suddenly like changed the narrative entirely. It's like this really sort of trippy world for about two and a half minutes, and the film's kind of unwatchable for that entire time period. And then starts back to being beaten and butthead. This is a show that is pretty much that two and a half minutes, but stretched out <laughs> absolutely with a lot more drug chatter taking place through it. 
Yeah, thank God. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so, look, I really, yeah, I'm stoked that it happened. I can't believe it happened. Like, I, I can't imagine there's many people watching this, but what a world we live in where I get to um, enjoy this crazy experience uh, on my Netflix, I believe, isn't it? Yes, that, I'm sure that, that is correct. That is how you watched it. Yes, Netflix. Mm. Um, so, that'll do um, for that little discussion, I think. Get on to it. <laughs> uh, so, you, Chris think you're in the same headspace as me so chris we last week talked about a film called point break yes and i'll admit i copped a little bit of stick from people on the internet during the week so you know <laughs> peter you know who you are but anyway i was accused of it being my annual conversation about point break <laughs> which i'm not sure if that's true maybe biannual um, I, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, Peter might be onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. But anyway, we're not going to talk about a movie this week, but we're going to do something that we don't usually do on the podcast. In fact, this entire podcast has been things that we don't usually do on the podcast. Mm, which I'm is, enjoying it. Yeah. It's very <laughs> free form. The thing that we're going to talk about this week is we're going to circle back. We're going to go back to what I was talking about last week, which is a show called Upload. I see you've selected non-denominational charismatic Christian as your creed. That means for you, the little chapel east of the hotel will be a Pentecostal church. For someone else, the same building could be a mosque or even a bowling alley. I'll take the bowling alley. I can make that change. Chris, last week I watched Upload, you hadn't, but this week you've watched all of Upload and you've got some thoughts. I have watched all of Upload. Have you watched any more of it since last week? Yeah. So last week, I think I'd seen, because we Two talked three, about before the it? show had launched and I'd seen yeah. four episodes and oh, four. I was up to episode four and then like the, off the night of launch, I was sitting around going, yeah, I kind of want to get back to Upload. And I thought I'll just watch one episode before bed. And then I watched the next six episodes. Yeah. Well, so I, I did exactly. Yeah. I watched no. it in two, in two sessions, which I don't do very often um, these days. And um, watch it with my partner, who is equally enthralled. And uh, like it's yeah, very just, watchable. It's in, insanely watchable. Uh, I think you know, we, I make no secret about the fact that I'm a very big fan of the work of Greg Daniels, um, <laughs> especially. And I really like really Greg Daniels, enjoyed, creator of The Office, uh, co-creator of King of the Hill, co-creator of Parks and Recreation. And yes, and when there was those. Um, in, there were incredible character moments where they were actual, where I could really see that character work coming through and the sort of like uh, the, the excellent way those characters in those programs don't take themselves seriously yet are really excellent quirky characters. Um, so Chris, we should we, do a quick sort of recap. Yeah, what sure. The show is, as we talked about it last week, but people you know, may not remember. Of course, not everyone's listening. I, I, I'm sure some, I'm sure there's one person out there that missed it. So um, upload the two sentence. Yeah, you do it. Oh, okay. Um, a guy in his early 20s dies uh, or he's about to die. And he's, it's, sorry, it's, it's a quasi-futuristic world about like 15, 20 years from now. He's dying and the society that he lives in or that we're all going to be living in allows uh, various corporations to be able to take that person's consciousness and effectively create a structured afterlife for them. So it's really a world which supposes the idea that God doesn't exist or maybe God exists, but corporations have become so full of themselves that they're willing to step into where, you know, previously <laughs> we sort of believed in religion, uh, but they've created an afterlife. So it's about this guy who is living in the afterlife, but can still communicate with the world at large. And in amongst this very high concept idea for a show, 
there's a murder mystery taking place because you begin to realize that the events that led to his death weren't necessarily the accident that it was purported to be. Yeah, and to be honest, I could take or leave the murder mystery element of it, even though it was a very um, big part of the show. <laughs> but what I really enjoyed um, a lot more was the setups and um, what I, I really enjoyed the the concept and the theme. And I enjoyed the way that the jokes, which I feel like the, the humor it really built up over the season. So, like, I think that it got really funny for me around the sort of midway point and then it, it, it dropped off at the end as it sort of had to deal with more of its plot and try to kind of tie things up, which I don't know how much we're going to talk about, but I, you know, I wasn't entirely satisfied with how uh, it kind of did tie things up in the end. How did you feel about that? So here's the thing. So I think I even said this on the podcast last week that the show is humorous without necessarily being funny, but I think I did lol a few times. Yeah. But I think that midway through, like after episode four, maybe like, I think it was, was very overtly funny for a number of episodes. There's at least a few episodes in the middle that were really like, yes, that where they were really milking the the jokes out of it in a, in a really good way. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of where the show really worked for me. It was, as you said, like you didn't really care about the murder mystery and I found the murder mystery kind of interesting, but it wasn't really what I liked and enjoyed about the show specifically. So hundred percent agree. Yeah. And, I understand the need to have a narrative drive in the series. So there was obviously a desire to put that in place so that it wasn't just an episodic, what crazy adventures are you going to get up to in the afterlife this week? And like the show definitely needs that. So I think it's better off for having the murder mystery. But I also think about what was working for me in the show, which is that you've got the central relationship between the guy who's died and this woman who's working in a call center. That's kind of like his on-call angel to help out with whatever's needed. And the two of them kind of form this sort of friendship and a potential romance uh, through the course of the first season. But she's kind of got this interesting world happening where she's going on dates and it's like sort of future Tinder stuff and it's all kind of gross and uh, people are rating each other on their sexual performance and that kind of thing. Like it was God help us. God help me. <laughs> yeah. And so like watching that, like it was kind of a little bit gross, but it was also just an interesting thing. Well, you know, that's kind of where this technology is going as well. And it was an interesting juxtaposition between living life in this society where technology is kind of taken over and then seeing this guy who's kind of at the complete sort of end of where this technology can lead, which is giving some totally. eternal life and still being able to communicate with the meat bags of the world while being this sort of digital consciousness. And like, that's an interesting juxtaposition to sort of explore, see what sort of things he can get up to and what sort of things she can get up to. But she's also got this additional layer where her world is a really depressing, just terrible place to live. Cause not only do you have the rating of sexual performance, but then you've got the idea <laughs> that she wants her father to be able to answer the like this digital afterlife, but she can't really afford it. And so like the dramatic tension for her is how she can try to up, up her ratings so that the company will sponsor her father entering this digital afterlife. And so there's all these concerns of the pressures that are being put on us to be like performance managed on a regular basis in our work. Totally. Okay. In order to achieve this sort of very personal desire that she can't achieve because it's a financially crippling world that she's within. And I think if the show played up those elements a little bit more, and maybe the arc wasn't so much a murder mystery as much as seeing what she has to go through in order to be able to get her father into this afterlife. Like that's interesting. And like that provides yeah. it with a dramatic uh, conceit. Like, I don't know the murder mystery was necessarily needed because there's more interesting things happening in this world than a sort of fairly shameless uh, tropey. Totally. Of. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I think that um, while it does do a very, 
good job of um, not getting too, you know, it, it treats the technology and the stuff in the way it should. And it's very, it's, it's spotlights it in the sort of way science fiction does, but it kind of makes fun of it. And it's all just, it really is all just kind of exaggerations of what we have now. Anyway, none of it's so really not a single idea in that whole show is too far fetched for me to, you know, to take on borders. Like, oh yeah, yeah. fair enough. It's all very but tangible. It's very tangible. That's what I'm trying to say. But mm. I also like the fact that it, um, you know, presents these ideas without necessarily the the bleak horror kind of overtones of you know Black Mirror and stuff like that, where you're able to kind of like you know it's a it's a it's a bit more of a cynical kind of sarcastic look at it rather than a, oh my god we're all completely doomed look at it, which I you know which is <laughs> which is refreshing in this well, day yeah, when, and age to have when Greg Daniels was in the writers' room. Apparently, when he was trying to explain the tone of it, he tried to say that it wasn't a utopia, it's not a dystopia, it's like a midtopia. And I think he's, got, yeah. he's definitely achieved that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so I, I was really into it. I mean, I like the idea of, uh, I really like the idea of another season of it. I, I would, I certainly don't feel like it was a satisfying conclusion as it was, if it doesn't get picked up again. So that will be a further disappointment in my life of shows getting canceled or not being able to live up to their full potential. But, uh, but yeah, just from a pure, like, is this a show? I've recommended this show to everybody that I've spoken to this week, literally anybody. Um, I, I, I couldn't think of anyone who I thought it might not be up their alley. Like I think it's really broad and, um, just extremely watchable, right? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of Amazon shows that get next to no buzz whatsoever, haven't been greenlit for second seasons and just kind of die on the vine. And a part of that comes from some of the internal production issues that Amazon have had for the first couple of years of their existence. And Upload actually comes from an earlier era of Amazon where they were greenlighting a whole bunch of stuff and most of those shows haven't really quite worked for them. But this show does work. And I've noticed a lot of people are very buzzy about this on the internet. Oh, that's good. There's a lot of very positive articles. So I'm hoping that that's probably enough to get the current sort of um, executives over at Amazon say, you know what, let's keep the show going. I think there's actually something to it. And, you know, there's no reason why this can't be as big a show for them as like a Jack Ryan or one of the other big successes that Amazon have had. Yeah, sure. I think so. I think it's got a potential to have a very broad appeal and, um, you know, especially if they, uh, take some of, if they're listening now, Dan, and take some of your advice about to take the next way. No, I think that, uh, you know, um, I think that if the show went for a few years, it would necess it would out of necessity, not have to keep following this very, um, rigid storyline of that. What shows did it remind you of? I, th- I, I kind of thought about how, uh, you know, I never got right into the good place, but I, but it, did for very obvious reasons have similarities to that. And it, it sort of hit the same, a similar tone, did it much, much better. I felt, but, um, and had a better like reason for being and existing. Um, despite Ted Danson, is that, is that the right um, show I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, you've got, you've got the show, right. Uh, the other show that's worth, okay. So Greg Daniel was obviously from Parks and Recreation. Uh, it's interesting that pretty much at the exact same time. So when Parks and Recreation wound down, the th- well, three of the sort of main creative talents there. So Greg Daniels went off and started producing Upload. Uh, you've got Mike Schur, who also did Parks and Recreation, that went off to do The Good Place. And then you've also got Alan Yang, who went off to do what's actually another Amazon series called Forever. And all three of these shows deal with the afterlife and the way oh, we sort of see things. It's just kind of interesting. And like the three of them apparently didn't actually discuss this at all. They just went off and got their TV deals and sort of did what wow. was interesting. But yeah, just fascinating seeing people go from Parks and Recreation to these three shows that are very afterlife heavy. 
maybe they had some big philosophical conversations uh, that they just, you know, haven't put as much weight behind as what, uh, the, the, as the results that came from those conversations. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, I, I can see that, that makes sense that that was um, also from that kind of, uh, from that crew because it does have that, you know, it, I really like the, to- I really did like the tone of that show as well, but I feel like this one does it a lot better and I feel like it's just a more interesting, it's just a more interesting idea and a more interesting story. And it's obviously not played for the same level of laughs um, as the good place. But yeah, I uh, wholeheartedly welcome new episodes and look forward to just watching uh, anything else that Greg Daniels ever does basically. Yeah, but Upload, I think it's just one of these sort of sneaky success stories that Amazon are about to have because I'm seeing a lot of people talking about it in a way that no one ever talks about Amazon shows. Yeah, that's right. They kind of do mostly. If, if I wouldn't even know Amazon existed if I didn't know you, Dan. Yeah. Um, well, this, this is uh, how I feel at times because I feel like I'm the only one that talks about some of these shows because there's legitimately some really good shows sitting on Amazon that no one's touching or thinking about watching. Now it's a disservice to everyone to not be doing that. So I thank, thank credit to you for getting in there and doing it. Uh, I'm conscious of the time, Dan, and I, I think it's probably time to wrap up our conversation about upload because I look forward to your quiz. Um, so that's upload available on Amazon, right? Do we have to do that? Yes, that's, we just that's correct. We just did it. There's no stopping us. Chris Yates, every week we wind out the show with a quiz. Uh, each week, one of us takes a turn to be the quiz master. By the end of this, we'll have each answered 50 questions. And Chris, this week, it's your turn to get some questions thrown in your direction, as is the way with this quiz. Do you, do you prefer being the quiz master or the quiz answerer? Look, last week, I really enjoyed the quiz that you prepared for me. So I really enjoyed answering <laughs> them. Okay, good. But also, oh, I enjoy it. coming up with the thematic <laughs> idea of the quiz. Excellent. All right. I can't wait to hear what it is. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. So last week you ended up asking me TV shows about dogs. Uh, the week mm-hmm. before I asked you TV shows that starred Seth Green in some form. Yes, that was good too. So yeah, these are very sort of broadly approached uh, quizzes. This week, Chris, I want to ask you questions about fake bands in TV shows. Oh, Fantastic. This is my, this is like my mastermind category, Dan. I shouldn't say that. I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up. Yeah, possibly. Okay. So I'm just going to give you the name of the band and you have to tell me what the TV show was. Okay. Easy. Yeah. And if you want to name the song that they were best known for, feel free to throw that in, but you won't get a point for it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But there are a few bonus points along the way here as well. So just letting you know. Yeah. Uh, And there is a bonus point for the first question I'm going to say which is the band Creation. What show did that come from? Okay, clearly you've got no idea. I'll give you some clues and say that the band was known as Creation, but also there were two other names for the same band. Uh, the other names were Anarchy's Child and Mission Control. Oh, dude. <laughs> You're killing me. The okay, first question. You- so the band changed their name in the show to those two things. Uh, I think the band names had happened before we were introduced to the band in the show. Ah, hmm. Mm. No, I don't know. You'll have to tell me, Dan. Okay. This was from a TV show you may have seen called Freaks and Geeks. Ah, gosh. Yeah. I haven't watched Freaks and Geeks for a very long time. No, it's been a while since I've seen it as well. I've been meaning to give it another rewatch. But the bonus question for you out of this first one was, the character of Nick has a drum, pit, uh, drum kit. How many pieces did the drum kit have? 12. 29. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. Of course, a name like Creation, they must have been a very prog rock band. Great question, Dan. Okay, here we go. Band Drive Shaft. Drive Shaft. Oh God. That is just so familiar. Yeah, I thought you'd nail this one immediately. Okay. Are we, are no, we... but I'm not going to. Hang no. on a sec. No, no, no. I'm not going to. Can't do I'm it. I'm going to get it. Am I going to get any of these? What is it? Uh, that was from a TV show called Lost. Ah, oh, that was um, the British guys' band. <laughs> yeah. And you may remember their Charlie. hit single, You All Everybody. Oh, God. You All Everybody. Yeah. That sounds amazing, though. Good, okay. good one, Dan. Here Jeez. we go. Question three. Okay. And see if you can get this one. Dr. Funke's 100% natural good time family band solution. <laughs> so that's arrested development, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Excellent. Well, okay, you're on the board. The, the, the character's name uh, was was a slight help there, but that's good. Uh, what about this one here? Uh, mouse rat. Mouse rat is easy. This is my go-to for whenever I see one of these dudes. Now I just go, "Hey, look, it's mouse rat." Um, mouse rat was the band from the Chris Pratt's band in Parks and Recreation. <laughs> Correct, sir. Which and I loved. I loved how his girlfriend hated. Um, hated them. It was fantastic. Both think, his girlfriends. Yeah, I've been wanting to get a mouse rat t-shirt. I don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, there you go. Is that a subtle Christmas hint? All right. A little bit. Zit Remedy. Zit Remedy, famously from Degrassi Junior High. Correct, yeah, Degrassi sir. Junior High. Yeah. And uh, you're going to give it to me. You're going to make it wrong if I said Degra- if I said the wrong Degrassi, weren't you? Uh, look, I was I, w- I was thinking this through because obviously the Zit Remedy carried through in both shows. So the question wasn't really what show did the band start in. Did they go through to Degrassi High? They didn't give up the dream. No, I think they were still around. Or at least they talked uh, about being the band even if they didn't do anything. And of course, their big single was um, "Everybody Wants Something." They'll never, they'll take your money and never give it up. Okay, Chris, how about this band, The Honeybees? No. Okay, this was obviously the all-girl group from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> now, the band consisted of the following characters: Marianne, Ginger, and bonus question: Who was the third member? The other woman on the island. Yeah, but you've got to give me her name. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Mary and Ginger and um, no, I don't know. Okay. Now I didn't know her name. I knew her as Mrs. Thurston Howe, the third. Her name was Lovey. A Lovey Howe. Yeah. And it's like, there how is go. that not more broadly known? Yeah. And oh. again, this is just the um, elimination of like an older character on the island. Yeah. Yeah. Just because just you're a woman who's past menopause doesn't mean you don't have vitality and purpose. Terrible. Oh, man, this show. Chris, what about Write this band? I, I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about this band? Dingo's Ate My Baby. You'll have to put, you edit out some of this pause so I don't sound as dumb. I'm definitely going to get it. I'm definitely going to get this right. No, I'm mm, not going to get definitely. it, Dan. I'm not going to get it, Dan. Okay, so this was the band fronted by one Seth Green. In the TV show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my God. You know, I never watched Buffy. <laughs> okay. Um, and I can't believe that. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm getting serious Seth Green vibes from you these days. It's very strange. Continue. I've got a very tough question here. Okay. 
Is it because you think I'm a massive Seth Green fan? I'm really not. I don't know what I don't know where you would have got that idea from. Here we go. The band is called The Heights. What was the show called? Surely the show was called The Heights. Correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank God. And of course, what was their um, single? Oh, gosh. That's on the tip of my tongue. It was, um, he was such a good looking man, the singer. Uh, Jamie. No, I haven't got it. Jamie something rather. Can you sing it for me? You'll, you'll know it. Uh, well, the song was called How Do You Talk to an Angel? How do you talk to an angel? Fantastic stuff. That was a that was a big hit IRL, I recall. That was a massive hit. Hey, bonus bit of trivia. At the time that The Heights was a very popular show on the TV and at the time that song was a very popular song on the radio, the school I went to was called The Heights. Oh, that would have been like so cool. Everyone there must have felt like they were on TV. Was it a Beverly Hills? Was it an actual spinoff? Was there a spinoff character or something? So... The show isn't a spinoff from 90210, I don't think, but the character played by Jamie, well, sorry, the actor, Jamie, whatever his name is, uh, he I was think he's in the show, but I don't think he's playing the same character. Right. So I could be wrong okay. on that. It could actually officially be a spinoff. I'm not 100% sure. Let's do, we'll, I'll do some research for my category next week, spinoffs. Mm. Oh, no, I can't tell you that. Okay, Chris, we're going into a different bit of a territory here. The band is called Big Fun. Oh, yep. Yeah. The song's called Teenage Suicide. <laughs> Don't do it. But from the movie. From the movie, Heathers. Correct. Okay. So final question here. Okay. Okay. And here's where I'm going to upset the quiz entirely. Okay. So okay. first of all, the question is the band, the B-Sharps. <laughs> yes. Mm, which is so from, this show is which is from The Simpsons. Okay, now here's where I upset the entire quiz. All I'm right. willing to give you a clean ten points. It, okay, so here's the thing: you can make the choice. Do you stick with the number of points you've got right now, <laughs> or do I take what's in the box? Or do you take what's in the box? So I'm going to give you three questions, all related to the B sharps. And if you get all three right, okay, you get ten points. If you get one of these three questions wrong, you get zero points for this entire round. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to take that. I don't want to be zero. And you'll probably ask me something crazy. No, these are all actually fairly like reasonable Simpsons questions about the beach arms. I'm, I'm way too, I'm way too um, conservative to take that option. I'll take my four measly points that I have now. Thanks. <laughs> okay. So, and I'll lock them in. Okay. But you're still going to ask me the questions, right? You want to know what they were, don't you? Okay. Yeah, and then I'll know that I've made a huge mistake. So the band was the B-Sharps. What was their hit yep. single? Baby on Board. Correct. Uh, what was the album? Baby on Board. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I would have got it at home with the B-Sharps. Meet the B-Sharps. Meet the B-Sharps. Uh, yep. 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 And what was, uh, what was the category of the Grammy that they won? Barbershop. <laughs> no, I need more information. Uh, modern barbershop, contemporary barbershop. Not need more than that. No, no, I don't know. I'm glad. See, I did. <laughs> Their Grammy category was this outstanding soul, spoken word, or barbershop album of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's an actual Grammy category. I'm sure. That's so funny. Uh, what a show. Well, I'm glad I made the right decision. Uh, Dan, I'm just was busting the whole time for my answer to be, um, I was, I had it ready to go. I was like, surely he's going to ask, of the question for which the answer will be Pugwall Summer. Oh, gosh. No. I didn't think about the Orange Organics at all. <laughs> I knew you would know that straight away. That's, it's 
It's honestly one of the best band names in real life or fictional ever, I think, the Orange Organics. It's just it's just so good. I can't remember the Puggle song, but do you remember the song? Oh, gosh. They had a song. They had a song. Yeah, they did, and they played it in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been memorable. Memorable little ditty there. We watched many episodes but didn't. Yeah, for the life of me, I don't remember. Pugwall Summer. Was that what the show was called? Uh, well, there was Pugwall and then the sequel series was Pugwall Summer. Oh, the sequel the series was Pugwall Summer. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, who cares? Um, <laughs> oh, excellent. That was an excellent quiz, Dan. How did I do? Uh, let me let me go back. I should have been counting, shouldn't I? Do uh, I got that one Just wrong. Got that one wrong. wrong. One, two, <laughs> three. Uh, five. Sorry, six. Oh, that's all right. No, you got six right. Six. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I feel good about six for, for such a category that was tailor-made for me. But you could have gotten 10. Yeah. If I had just wasted six years of my life watching Buffy. Sure. Oh, well, I was thinking more well, if you knew the Grammy Outstanding Soul Spoken <laughs> Work and Barbershop oh, right. Album of the Year. No, like that's a very good, that's a very good question though. I love that. I, I hope to go to Simpsons Trivia again in the real world when these places exist again so that I, yeah, so I can have that one up my sleeve ready to go. Anyway, Chris Yates, it has been fun quizzing with you and talking television, but I'm afraid this must come to an end because Chris, this podcast has also come to an end. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week talking more TV. If you enjoy this podcast, there is more ways you can engage with the always be watching, maybe like the newsletter. So you can sign up for that. It comes out five days a week, six times, because there's two on Fridays. Uh, One's a TV guide for your weekend watching. The rest is a whole bunch of interesting news stories about what's going on in the world of TV. Um, You know, what's going on as well. Just like interesting things you want to check out. For example, Chris, tomorrow morning I'm publishing a story, which is a excellent website that's been pointed out to me by regular Always Be Watching subscriber, uh, Michael Maloney. And what it is, it's a website that generates a grid of all the IMDb like rankings for your favorite TV shows. So let's say you want to see The Sopranos. You just type The Sopranos into the search engine. It spins around for a second and then comes up with an entire grid that shows you the most popular episodes, color-coded from best to worst. And it's incredible. This is good stuff. Holy cow. So anyway, links like that is what you find there and they'll always be watching newsletter. I live for that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it's a great newsletter, Dan. I love it. I yeah, read thanks. it every every day. It's it's um, very informative. It's actually the first place I hear about it, just about everything, really. I like it when I do occasionally get one past you, but it's not very often. The idea is that I wake up at the crack of dawn and I put together a newsletter. <laughs> so you read it before anyone else tells you. You're a very early riser. This is paying off for you in the newsletter in the newsletter game. In the newsletter biz. Uh, but it's also good because if you're in, say, the US, for example, when the newsletter comes out, it's ready for your commute home. So if you're one of those people, a United States citizen, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that because things aren't going so great over there right it's now. not great over there at the moment, no. But you've got a lot of good TV coming from there. Come on. You've got Seriously. a lot of great TV coming from there. You've got a very good newsletter you can read on a bus ride home. It's not as, yeah. From, I hope you're not from your to work, that's just been reopened. Oh my God. Mm. Um, on that note, I look for, I look for, <laughs> what, what should I watch next week, Dan? Let's, let's mix it up again. Tell me, tell me, give me a recommendation to watch something next weekend that I'll like. Uh, look, I, I mean, recommendation. I've been telling you for years to watch the good wife, but you won't do that. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll watch it. Maybe we'll do a whole episode where I'm going like, you know what? Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to choose the one. You know episode my partner. Will she watch it? Will yeah, she she'll watch totally it? get into it. All right. I'm going to find the episode for you guys to watch. Okay, send yeah. us through the best entry one and then we'll, we'll go from there. We'll, we'll work from there.
Yeah. Anyway, folks, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week with more TV chatter, maybe a bit more structured next week, huh?